the scripture that I wanted to start off with today was one that jumps out at me and I've, I've always really liked it. Um, it's in Acts 9, 31. And I think we're going to do the story of Acts 9 because I think it'll kind of flow well with this, with this theme. But this phrase that's in Acts 9, 31 that says, And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. The church multiplied. The people were multiplied. And there's something there that I believe is such a key for us this balance in that which is the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit causing growth maturity. I'm not talking about growing as far as in our numbers as a church, but it, it is saying that. But I'm, I guess I should say I'm not limiting it to that. I'm talking about in the Christian walk, growth, multiplication, maturity, expansion coming from walking in this balance that is the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And so since we've been kind of talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and talking about what New Testament Christianity really is, which is really just being the vessels of the Holy Spirit, the vessels of God, it's, it's such a major part of that. I wanted to, to kind of hit that verse because it's my favorite topic, if you know me, and many of you do know me very well, is the fear of the Lord. You know, it's, it's, it's an aspect of the Holy Spirit. We see it in, in Isaiah 11, verse 2, and as you read on, you know, this prophecy of who Jesus was going to be, this root, this branch out of Jesse's lineage. And upon him would be the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might and of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. These sevenfold spirits, as, as, as the book of Revelation calls them, um, which is all just the fullness of the spirit of God, wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, the fear of the Lord. But it says something right after that. It says, and his delight is in the fear of the Lord. Right, right there in Isaiah 11, 2 and 3, just for the note takers, his delight is in the fear of the Lord. And I think sometimes we think of the fear of the Lord as being something, being terrified of God. You know what I mean? Walking around, you know, my grandfather was kind of a hard guy. He was kind of a tough, tough on the kids. My parents used to warn us, like, if we leave you with them and you get a spanking from him, he spanks with his belt. He takes his belt off and hits you with it, you know. You couldn't say stuff like that out loud today. You'd get Me Too movement would hit you up quick or something would happen. But they, that, was like the, that was the way I saw my grandfather as a kid, right? And so um, when we'd go outside and play hide-and-seek and stuff in Thanksgiving or whatever, and all the cousins were down there. They lived in Jacksonville, so it was a couple hours north of us, Jacksonville, Florida. Um, we'd go up there, and my grandfather would be like, don't step on the flowers. Don't step on my flowers like that. And like, no flower, you know what I mean? And in my little kid mind... I, flowers to me, I didn't understand like just the garden, the portions, of, you know, the trim around the house. I thought like any dandelion that just happens to be sprouting in the middle, a little yellow flower, watch your back or the belt's coming for you, you know? So here I am, probably the most athletic one in the bunch, but always getting caught because, you know, hey, listen, I'm scared to run fully because I'm, I'm looking out for dandelions and little flower-like things. Because I don't want to get hit with a belt. You know what I mean? And this was my understanding. And so I was never fully free, if you can feel the analogy, never fully free to run with everything that was in me. At my grandfather's house, because I was always worried that I was going to do something wrong. And so this is not the fear of the Lord. This is the fear of man, which proves to be a snare, right? The fear of the Lord, it says in, in Proverbs, in the fear of the Lord, there is a strong confidence and his children will have a place of refuge. And I, I love that little passage right there. Um, but it's Proverbs fourteen twenty six. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have refuge. And I love that because I know that this, is, this, this man is a prophet writing these things in, in the Proverbs and, 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 and this is by the spirit of God. And I believe this is talking about our our inheritance and our lineage as the sons and daughters of God. The fear of the Lord is not being afraid of God so that you don't ever run fully because you're always worried that you're going to be making a mistake. It's something that gives you such strong confidence that you run with all your might and power and all the giftings and abilities naturally and spiritually which have been supplied in this new covenant and you function in such a profound way that you produce the kingdom of heaven and the earth. You release the kingdom of heaven and the earth. You dig? And, um, you know, so there's something, there's something there. If his delight is in the fear of the Lord, the Messiah's delight was in the fear of the Lord. Was it because the son was afraid of the dad walking around looking over his shoulder? 
No, it means that our minds have to catch up to the understanding of what that actually means, the fear of God. Is there a reverence in it? Absolutely, yes. But the fear of the Lord, and, and honestly for me, this is how I came in, so it's part of my story, but the fear of the Lord is the reality of heaven, being engulfed with the reality that's greater than this plastic world. It's Neo getting that thing plucked out of the back of his head. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, wait a second, this world is more real than that world. You know what I mean? The fear of the Lord is the reality. I think it's, you know, Psalm 34 says, the angel encamps around those who fears him and delivers them from his fears. And, and so there's something there. The fear of the Lord is the, is the understanding that God actually is encamped within you and around you. And so you don't have to be afraid. It's this overshadowing, this perspective shift that you realize you're so covered by your Father that even that which should be intimidating or, fear, or afraid, cause fear, potentially, is put in such perspective and it's illegitimate to you. We don't get rattled by the things. Even the, the places where some people deal with such insecurities, you know what I'm saying? They feel so secure in their dad's love for them that it's like they don't actually feel those needs longing to be met by other people. And, and, and afraid that they're not going to be met. You know, this, it's this strong security that is the fear of the Lord. But I love that it says that in Acts 9.31. Did I say that enough times, Acts 9.31, Acts 9.31? So in Acts 9.31 that they were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. These two go hand in hand and they're one and the same. You know, and there's, there's so many things and um, maybe I won't go through the whole thing. I think it's I think we have a podcast episode called A Biblical Theology of the Holy Spirit, and I, I, I think it was in January because I looked at it um, one, of those, one of those weeks, and it, I won't do all of that now, but there's aspects of walking in the Holy Spirit. Speaking of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory living inside of you, manifesting powers that you didn't know you had. Um, um, speaking of that actual walk of the Spirit, there's so much written that's in red, basically meanings out of Jesus' mouth, like John 14, 26, he will teach you all things concerning the Spirit. He said, it's better for you that I go away. Like, what could be better than walking with the Lord? The Lord being on the inside of you, you know, and you being seated in him on the inside of him in the heavenly places. It's a very mystical walk. But he will teach you all things and bring, bring all my words to your remembrance. That's what, the, that's what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit in John 14, 26. In John 15, 26 and 27, he says, of the Holy Spirit, He will testify of me, and you will also and you will also bear witness of me because you've actually been with me, even from the beginning. John sixteen verse thirteen and fourteen. When the Spirit of Truth has come, He will guide you into all truth. Hey, we have a Spirit guide. That sounds new agey. You better be careful with that. I don't know. Jesus said it, not me. When the Spirit of Truth has come, He will guide you into all truth. He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said something else on the end of that that I, that's one of my favorite things. He said, all things that the Father has are mine. It's like, whoa, that's heavy. You know, Jesus is God, by the way. You've heard me say that a lot. Yeah, he's, he's God. <laughs> you know what I mean? He will take what is mine and declare it to you. And by the way, everything the Father has is mine. It's like, whoa. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. That's John 16, 13 and 14. When he told the disciples to, to tarry in Jerusalem until they were endued with power from on high, right at the end of the Gospels, I believe it's in the Gospel of Luke, then Luke transitions over into Acts because it's the same writer. In Acts 1.8, he says, When he comes upon you, the Spirit of the Lord, Acts 1.8 says, he, You will be my witnesses. My power will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses and all of Israel, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Everything that Jesus said about His Spirit, Christ in us, the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, all these things, everything that Jesus spoke about the Spirit of God was not, don't step on the flowers. I'm going to have a voice in your head that's telling you, don't you step on them flowers. You know, Everything that Jesus said is like, He's going to come upon you. It's better that I go away. You're gonna, all the things that I've spoken to you, He's going to remind you of everything because it's going to be Him on the inside. You know, It's like, but how are we going to get these teachings? How are we going to get these words? Like, you're still going to get them, guys. You're still going to get them from me. You know, Jesus said, I won't leave you orphans. 
I will come to you. That's what he said in, in John 14. It's just like, wait, you are the spirit now. Which one? Which one of the trinity? You know what I'm saying? It's talking. This is God's voice talking to people. Yeah. Yeah. I know it can be confusing, but we, we might need to unlearn some things that we've learned for a long time. But the, the main thing, the main thing, when he comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses. We have all these proclamations from God himself about God, coming upon, God himself coming upon us. And all of it has to do with encouragement. He will remind you of my words. He will empower you. There will be, there's gifts that are given to you in him. You know what I mean? And then the gifts of the Holy Spirit, surprise, surprise, they're not actually to come and convince people and condemn them and make them think they're going to hell or shoot lightning bolts out of our hands and shock them to death like you know, the emperor from Star Wars. You know, some, they're not bad, evil powers. They're actually to actually bless people, to have their minds changed to realize that they've been, they've been forgiven as well. You know what I mean? To actually demonstrate that the ruler of this world is judged. There's something about all of the gifts of the Spirit. I think we covered that. That was last week. Um, that even the prophetic giftings of God, which out of the nine gifts of the Spirit that are listed there in 1 Corinthians 12, I think five or six of them, five definitely, maybe six can count. They all work out of they're all revelatory, meaning they're all like prophetic in nature. The word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, um, the prophetic gifts, all these, even the interpretation of tongues, are all these things you can't know of your own self. They're all prophetic in nature, and all of them work through love. And 1 Corinthians 14 literally says, He who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort. In other words, it's like, I was the kid at church as a, as a kid that was afraid somebody was going to come call me out for being a perverted kid, you know, or something like that, by some prophetic gift, somebody was going to see it. And in reality, the giftings of God and the voice of God isn't accusatory. That's the, that's the voice of the accuser of the brethren, and he's good at his job. But they're actually for edification, exhortation, and comfort. So all the things Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, I mean, it sounds really silly now, but to think about the gifts of the Spirit manifest by the same Spirit, with the same fruit and the same nature and attitude. You know what I mean? They're actually all to build people. They're actually all to see people as they truly are and call those things that are not as though they are. You know what I mean? It's something so, so great. I think that um, the place where the gifts really flow, the giftings of the Spirit flow from us, are obviously personal connection. Our relationship to God spilling over and touching other people. But also, it's from that place of 1 Corinthians 13 of actually loving people and valuing them and seeing them as they truly are. I think one of my, one of my favorite verses, oh, I have listed here, but um, is in Revelation 19. And I think it's Revelation 19.10, but it says, the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We've made it so many different things. When the end's going to come, you know, who's going to be the next president, calling people out for not being in the Word enough or whatever. But the testimony of Jesus, in other words, the very spirit and essence of what prophecy is, is actually seeing somebody through the testimony of God's love for them, as if they've never been touched by the fall, and speaking into that reality. And there's so much authority and power to give life because that's what the true ambassadors of the kingdom are supposed to be doing, you know? That's what we're supposed to be doing. Even in our house with our kids, even when they frustrate us with our friends, with strangers that we don't know, the testimony of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy, the authority of new covenant believers is actually to speak the life of God. Amen. Yeah, man. But there's a disconnect sometimes, and I think I just kind of hit about that. But wrong theological beliefs about God and His spirit and His voice towards us are what hinder us more than anything from actually walking in the power and authority of the age to come that every single believer is supposed to walk in. And so we have Jesus. I mean, how many of you heard this? And you've heard me do this several times. I'll probably do it until I'm an old man. Um, but you have Jesus saying all these things. He's going to lead you into the truth. He's going to empower you. You know what I'm saying? He's going to take what is mine, what is the Father's, and actually declare it to you. He's going to establish my reality in you. When you, you go and you look into Romans 6, 7, and 8, and you talk about the stuff that the Spirit is going to be praying on the inside of you, bearing witness of your sonship. You know what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit was given to edify you and to build you up and, and to solidify you in this walk. But so many people's mindsets have been taught, or minds are thought of the Holy Spirit. We've listed him into a grid the way 
my uninformed mind, because I don't think my grandfather was going to beat me if I stepped on a dandelion, right? But we have this feeling that keeps us from fully walking because we're always worried and expecting God's voice to come in and smack us in everything that we're doing. And we've seen God as this bipolar judge through the poison of the fall, and it causes us not to walk with confidence, the fear of the Lord, and not to walk with the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So we're timid and we're insecure, and our message is watered down. You know what I mean? But Jesus said some things concerning this, this reality. See, many people believe that the primary role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is to highlight what they're doing wrong. It's this teaching that's been around for hundreds of years, probably not even, but it's been popular for 100 years, that, that says the Holy Spirit was given. Now, that, His role in your life is to convict you of your sins. And so we've, we've kind of rationed God's voice, which man lives on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We've actually rationed it. Instead of being the encourager, the builder, the solidifier, the one that's leading us into truth, we're more afraid of it. We're more prone to shutting it off or trying to, you know, trying not to step on flowers because we've rationed God's voice into this judgmental voice that comes to convict us of sin. And it's not even in our Bible. Amen. And everyone's like, no, 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 that's in our Bible. You come to convict your sin. It's like, no, I'm, I'm here to say, no, it's, it's just really not there. Not in that context. And we have John 16, which we, we read some of those little notes. But Jesus talking about it's better, better that I go away. And he says this in John 16, 8. I'm going to read like three verses, and then we're going to go into Acts 9. He says, when, when he has come, the Holy Spirit, he will convict. If you have a New King James Bible in, in verse 8, it says convict. That word is really reprove. But both words are fine. We're not splitting hairs on that. He will convict or reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And we've taken a whole message out of consuming or believing God's this bipolar judge and, was like, and we've assigned God in some type of bipolar or tripolar. Is tripolar? I think that works because there's the, the mean God. Then there's the nice version of God that, that wants to die for us to protect us from the mean, wrathful version. Then there's the Holy Spirit that actually comes and he smacks us on the hand because he's given to the world to convict of sin. And in reality, that word convict and that word reprove right there, it's, it, there's a few more because it says he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So he's not coming and smacking you on the hand like, hey, that was righteous. You know what I mean? It, it, it makes no sense. But Jesus actually goes in and actually continues to articulate what he's meaning. He will reprove the world of sin and righteousness and judgment in verse 9, John 16, verse 9, of sin because they don't, because they don't believe in me. Is he telling the disciples he's going to convict you of your sin? Or is he going to convict the world of their sin because they don't believe in me? Well, the disciples already believe in him, so he's not talking to them. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Huh? It's like he wants to reprove or convict the world of judgment. The impending judgment that so many people are ducking down from He's going to change their minds and demonstrate the reality that God has actually judged the ruler of this world. The ruler of this world is judged. And he's going to empower you to demonstrate that reality. Can you imagine this? This little passage of scripture, we read it with, with in plain English. And I, I recommend you go back and read over and over and over and over again. Read in every translation you can. You know I don't like the Message Bible. Even the Message Bible doesn't get this wrong. Even the Message Bible gets this right. You know what I mean? Um, and it's okay if that, I had to start off with the NIV, you know what I mean? So I'm not hating on you if that's what you have, that's okay. And if that's all you got and you want something else, holler at me, I will help you. Um, <laughs> when he's come, he will prove the world of sin, righteousness, of judgment, of sin because they don't believe. He's going to change their minds from unbelieving to believing through you. You're going to reprove the world of unbelief in your partnership that you're walking with in the Holy Spirit yeah. by the gifts and empowerments of God. He's going to change their mind of what righteousness is. Mm -hmm. He's going to change their mind on judgment. Why? Because the ruler of this world is judged. Like, wait a second. When he comes upon you, so we're going to partner with you to demonstrate that the ruler of this world is judged? Yeah. I've taken the keys, death and hell. Remember, remember all those things happened? 
He was forecasting this life of the empowerment of somebody who walks in New Testament Christianity that's not sitting here worried about judgment. You know what I mean? Who's not sitting here worried about being made righteous. You know what I'm saying? Who's, who's, not, who's not worried about thinking that the Holy Spirit's voice is just there to convict them of their sin and everything that they do wrong. If you look at Jesus and think about like somewhere like uh, Luke 9, the disciples were wanting to call down fire on a Samaritan city in Luke 9. They're wanting to kill an entire city in Luke 9. And Jesus says, you don't know what spirit you guys are of. Listen, I didn't come to kill and destroy life. I came to save life. And that's all he said. I would have been like, you guys are terrorists. You guys are all Bin Ladens. Get out. You know, you're not walking with me anymore. You know what I mean? But he's like, hey, you you know, he doesn't, he's not an accuser. He didn't say you're of the spirit of death and murder. He just said, you don't know. Just like he said on the cross, they don't know. Forgive them, they don't know. He told the disciples, you don't know what spirit you're of. I didn't come to do death, I came to do life. Follow me. You know what I mean? It's so plain, you know. And then every other aspect of the Holy Spirit where we see listed, the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, you know, he will teach you all things. He will testify of me and bear witness of me. He will lead you into all truth. He will, he will actually pray on the inside of you, you know, and establish you in the tr- reality of your sonship. That's what Paul said in Romans. You know, he will guide you into all truth. And there's not one single thing about him, him actually slapping people on the wrist. Now, some people get really nervous about that. So go read Galatians and go read some of these books. This is not a license to sin because you don't have a ghost on, in the inside of... It's like we're, we're such deficient robots that we're so bent to sin that we won't even know when we're doing something bad unless he tells us. You know what I mean? But Ezekiel 36, 26 is really clear. Like, I will give you a heart of flesh instead of the heart of stone. Like, part of the, the new covenant is actually coming back to the reality of who we actually are. That we're not just robots bent on sin in, in everything that we're doing. You know what I mean? It's like we have a tender heart that's actually, now we have the Spirit on the inside of us. We have communion, communication with Him, and He's leading us into truth. Does that mean that there's not going to be opportunity for repentance and walking with the Lord? Yeah, but God is not the devil. He is not the accuser of the brethren. He is the Spirit of truth that leads us into truth. Does that mean we could go down the wrong path? Yeah. And could the Holy Spirit intervene? Absolutely. He could say, hey, this is the right path. And then we have the ability to have a mind change, which is called repentance, and actually turn and walk with Him. But here's why I'm saying some of these things. Romans 8, 16. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. Like there's the, the edification that comes from Him praying in the Spirit. It's like He bears witness. He solidifies this confidence, the fear of the Lord. There's strong confidence that we're actually supposed to walk in and testify. And the reason I'm saying this stuff, and it seems preliminary or or maybe elementary, but it's like the the reason this has to be so drilled in, because if we're going to walk in the power of God and the giftings of the Spirit, and we're going to love our neighbor as ourself, we have to be capable of loving ourselves and our neighbor. And a lot of us feel so deficient and crooked and we think that that's God's view of us, and we just need Him to tell us how crooked we are on a constant basis, that our only ear is turned to Him in order to smack us. And He's like, hey, I'm not trying to do that at all, actually. My voice is edification, exhortation, and comfort. The fear of the Lord and the Holy Spirit is the reality of what Jesus paid for, where you are now in the place of authority, and leaving all that other stuff behind. It's walk in the Spirit, Galatians 5 says, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's not like try not to, try not to step on the flowers. Try not to walk in the flesh. It's not try not to do nothing. It's walk in the Spirit, and then those things won't be an issue. It's follow me. Amen. You know what I mean? The lady gets caught in adultery. I don't condemn you either. Go and don't do it again. The guy laying on the mat, hey, heals him. Comes back later on, John 5, like, hey, by the way, stuff got you into this? Don't do it again. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's, we, we put it backwards because we're still trying to work to earn something that we don't have to earn. And it's like when we understand this, this level of love and covering, that is the strong confidence that's, that's there in the fear of God, man. 
It's, it's so simple. I love 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 and 16. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 and 16 says, For the love of Christ controls us. Some of your Bibles say compels us. Both work. The love of Christ compels us. For we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. That's controversial. And he died for all, that those who those might live no longer for themselves, those who live... Would, would not live no longer for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Verse 16, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. This is the walk of the Spirit. From there, therefore, from now on, we regard nobody according to the flesh. In other words, we don't judge nobody by what their external situation or physical appearance is. We don't judge anybody. Jesus said it. How easy is, is Matthew 7, 1? Judge not and you won't be judged. It's like, now wait a second now. Judgment's coming. Like, no, I want to approve that thought. Judgment's, you know, if, if you want to live by the system of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, if you want to live by the law, then like, yeah, you step into that game, you can play it and you'll get judged by it. But if you want to choose to live without judgment, can you imagine what it would be like to have no opinion? Not about the Cowboys quarterback or, you know, whatever's going on. To literally have no opinion about people. That's freedom. To, like, have no thoughts about a person when you walk by them that could be negative. Or somebody that wears you out. Did anybody have anybody in your life that kind of, they kind of wear you out a little bit? Not no, because you guys are also spiritual, you know? No. But can you imagine having none of that? Having, like, no opinion about people. Like, oh, I just work here. I don't get paid to have opinions. I just give life. I'm just positive. You know what I mean? It's just like, man, that's called having an open heaven. But that's also called coming into agreement with what Jesus has done. Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. It's like, hey, like, we don't see that way. There's, there's no trace of judgment, the knowledge of good and evil. There's no trace of that old religious game within us that can, can steer our giftings and our focus Christians are an empowered. We're a new cre creation. Christianity, is, is, it is a religion of empowerment, y'all. Very much empowerment. That's why I said go, to, go make disciples. Like our Christianity should be very contagious. You know what I mean? We get in a conversation, they should leave. I don't know why. I feel, I feel encouraged by that person. I don't know them. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's our job. You know? And... and Therefore, for the love of Christ controls us, we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Like, that's controversial right there. One died for everybody, now everybody died? Like, what does that even mean? Like, you reckon everybody, you reckon them dead and alive in Christ. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Like, you reckon them, you see them as they truly are, not as they are living in this current state. But I thought he only died for the elect and only certain people. No, no. We don't think that way around here. You know, it's the Bible here we're talking, you know, no, that's not, that's not it. You know, it's like loving people, seeing even what the world would see as the worst or the most insignificant. What Jesus said about them kids, like the kids come to me, like their angels see the face of their father in heaven. In other words, like the angels see the people you see as insignificant. He, they see the image of dad, their dad. And you need to see that image and serve into that and and they will manifest that in the real world. Yeah. I love this. Okay, so I was going to do Acts 9. I think I've hit that enough. I know that's a lot of scriptures, you know, but, you know, I, I feel like it ties in very well. What, what was Acts 9, 31, speaking of that? Walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they are multiplied. So it's not being afraid to walk. The fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, being covered by God, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, being reminded of the sonship or daughtership of who you truly are, Never looking down at ourselves. Oh man, I need to sew a, sew a bikini on myself like Eve and Adam. Like never getting back into that trick, but being fully wholeheartedly pursuant of God and releasing Him. Acts 9 is a brilliant story about that. Well, I kind of think so. I think it works. We'll see if it works. Acts 9. Okay, so Acts 9 is the story about this guy from Tarsus. And he was what we would consider a terrorist. And this guy especially seeing him by the flesh, we could all agree was pretty much a scumbag. It says he was breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went 
to the high priest and asked from letters to the synagogue of Damascus, the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way of Christianity, whether men or women, he could bring them bound to Jerusalem. So this guy, he was trouble. If you backed up into Acts 8, you don't have to. I'll just read a verse. Acts 8, 3 says, As for this guy Saul, this guy from Tarsus, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging out men and women, committing them to prison. So here's a guy that would literally disrupt church meetings in people's houses and drag people out of the house, even women. He was, he was like physically abusive to girls. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like everyone's like, yeah, let's just go ahead and kill this guy. Like, you know, you know what's funny about this guy? This guy saw is, is I did a Bible study. Man, this is probably 12 years ago. And some of these guys are, one of them, you know, they're, anyhow, I remember when I was telling the story, I was telling the story of Stephen, the first martyr, and, and, and it was introducing this guy, Saul. And I asked him, what do you guys think about that guy? You know, there's a guy named Josh, a guy named Taylor, a guy named Nick, all these kids, they're in their 20s. But they were like, oh, God's going to deal with him. He's going to take that dude out. And I was like, well, you know, you know, that's a true statement. They're like, yeah, this guy's got to go. <laughs> But uh, he didn't. He ends up not going. Well, you know, spoiler. But uh, anyhow, so he's making havoc of church, pulling women out by their hair, pulling people or women out and men out, dragging them, killing people. You know, the first martyr Stephen was one of the most famous people in our whole book. Uh, you know, he's he was the one who was consenting to his death, so he was the authority figure, like saying, "Throw the rocks." You know what I mean? He was just a cold stone killer. He, he was raised as a Pharisee of Pharisees, studied under this guy named Gamaliel, which is like the, the you know, the Harvard, or Yale of, of, of the Torah, you know, studying their Bible, the Old Testament. And, all. and uh, this guy was just incredible. Rich dude, Roman soldier, a Roman citizen, but a Jew. I mean, he had everything going for him as far as status goes. But he was on his way to Damascus, and it says, a light shone around him from heaven. That word means literally as he was walking on this journey with this letter of authority that he could drag people up out of their houses, rough them up, kill some of them, throw them in jail, all the, you know, the, 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 stuff, the, the stuff he was doing. This is the authority on who God is. One of the highest educated in the, in the Bible, you know, the Old Testament, the Torah. Um, but it says a light, the word there is really enveloped him. He was enveloped by heaven. So here he is all of a sudden and whoom, something happens to where he goes into a full-blown, it's not a trance and it's not a vision, because it, but it, it, like he, got, he got raptured. We do believe in that rapture here. You know? He got raptured, wham, like he just got caught into light. He was enveloped or engulfed with it, if you look at those words, which I think is so cool. A light from, with the light of heaven. It says, he fell to the ground and he heard a voice that was saying, hey, why are you persecuting me, Saul? Saul, Saul, why are, you, why are you doing this to me? He said, I love his first line, who are you, Lord? So he in, instantly, like, who are you, Master? And I've always said, Jesus, because he could have said, it could have been anything at this point. It could have been, I'm Buddha, I'm, you know, anything. I'm Krishna, I'm Hercules, I'm anything. Like, this dude who's an authority in God is calling somebody Lord who he doesn't know. It's, he's, he's already like tapping, tapping out. Like, it's you. okay, you're, you're the one. Who are you, Lord? He's, it's a yielding. I like that. I'm Jesus. I'm the one who you're persecuting. It's like you're doing it to these people, but you're really doing it to me. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. You know? It's like, dude, you're... You know, the goads, these uh, spiky-looking things, it's like you're kicking against them. Like, instead of working with the, going against the flow, you're going totally against it, and it's actually, you're, you're hurting yourself. Like, you, this is, you're living completely backwards. You, you need to have a turnaround. You know, it's like, it's, it's hard for you. So he trembling and astonished. He said, what do you want me to do, Lord? He said, arise and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Then, boom. That, that's that. It says, the, the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. So <laughs> he, they didn't get engulfed. They didn't get enveloped. You know what I mean? They didn't get raptured. They missed the rapture. And that was it. They missed it. They were left behind for a moment. And then, 
then they you know whatever but you know so they're they're out and then you know they didn't hear it but they could hear what was going on like they probably just saw him like why are you freaking out like that whoa like what's happening to you and he's in a whole whirlwind of light and sound and uh, you know having his mind blown they're like what's wrong with him <laughs> yeah okay so anyway <laughs> the men journeyed with him stood speechless <laughs> but when his eyes were open he couldn't see anyone so, so they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus so cool so here he is he's on his way and, you know, some of the young guys I was reading this to for the first time were probably like, yeah, now what? Go drop him in a volcano or something? Like, no, nope, they're not going to kill him. God finally got him. Like, no, nope, not what you think. Um, so he gets to Damascus, and he was there. It says three days without sight, and he didn't eat or drink, dude. Three-day fast is not a big deal, but three days without water, is uh, that's called being severely traumatized. You know what I mean? And you've just met God. And you've, you've been hating him the whole time. Your heart has been to serve him the whole time. You're so zealous for him and his word. And now he has the Torah memorized, at least the five, first five books. That's all did. And so you're seeing all these things and thinking about him and you're placing him into the Bible like, oh, 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 oh. you know what I mean? You're, he's freaking out, dude. Trauma. <laughs> you know, and you've roughed people up and had people killed. And you're like, oh my gosh, the team that I'm on, I've been playing for the other team. I've been, I've been on the other side. Oh my gosh, how traumatic. It says, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. This is a different Ananias, and there's another one. That says, but there's, one, there's, there's a few of them, but there's this guy named Ananias. Um, and to him it says, the Lord said in, to him in a vision called him by his name, Ananias. To which he said, here I am, Lord. Kind of like Samuel had to do. So the Lord said, arise and go to the street that is called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he's praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Um... We can make this into gifts of the Spirit, but we've, we've said that in 1 Corinthians 12. All the gifts of the Spirit, one, they work through, excuse me, love, but also um, through relational connection to God. So here's somebody praying, connecting to God, having a vision. This real Christianity here. This kind of thing happens. Gets his name called, and he enters into communication with God, not about himself, but about someone else. And you could even call this a word of knowledge. You need to go pray on somebody, pray for somebody's eyes because they're blind and they're going to be received as eyes. So you could, it could fit into some of those categories. Um, guy named Saul Tarsus, you know, you might as well, you know, for our, just for our minds, you can say like Saul bin Laden there for, to, to, to feel the grasp of what, what Ananias probably felt. All right, so there's this guy named Saul um, bin Laden, and he's at a house called Straight Street. I need you to go there and pray for him. Lay hands on his eyes. He's blind. Um, he's seen you coming in a vision as well. And um, Ananias' response, which is so funny to me, in verse 13, Ananias answered and says, Lord, <laughs> kind of like, instead of like, yes, sir, I'm on it, you know. He says, Lord, uh, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And uh, here... He has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Even from the chief priests in our area, he can throw people in jail. And, like, he kills people and stuff. So, if you, you know, when you're thinking about this prayer, it's like you think, like, oh, that's an awesome vision. What did the Lord tell you? He said, go, it's like, whoa, 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 not him. Like, are you sure about this? Like, well, this is risky. We think about stepping out and giving a word or giving encouragement to somebody. Like, what if they think I'm weird? <laughs> you know what I mean? He's like, this, what, if they, what if this guy is with a bunch of people and they start throwing rocks at me? You know what I mean? Are you just setting me up to be, hey, I'm a Christian and God told me to tell you this. What? That's blasphemy. You know, you know he's, he's, he's having to fight some serious, uh, some fear there. But God says, hey, go for he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles. Gentiles didn't get into this thing until the next chapter, by the way. 
And even when that happened, nobody really knew about it for a little while. So um, here's Ananias, in a, a regular Christian in a relationship to God, given an assignment to go and bless somebody with heaven. And it's just like, hey, like, there's a lot of good people we could bless with heaven. Why, this guy's a scoundrel. If he's in bad shape, let him die. He's done a lot of damage. And not only that, this is going to be dangerous for me. You know? This is the guy we've chosen. He's a chosen vessel of mine. Can you imagine that? Seeing somebody. Think about how, how um, divided our climate is politically right now. If I just pick, pulled a picture up of a certain person, it would instantly draw a response in here. If I, if I whipped a piss, big picture out of Nancy Pelosi right now, bam, what would your heart say? I love her. Right? Because you're Christian. We're all Christians. So that's probably what it would be. But a lot of people, if I just went boom, or if I put Donald up here, bang, you know, boom, Donald. People, that would trigger some people. Some people are like, hey, man, he's, you know, he's God's man. You know, some people would be like that, you know, whatever. You know, but, you know, we can be so, but like that Second Corinthians verse, man, it's like, it's like, no, nobody after the flesh. Think about Ananias. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you sure? It's like, hey, Ananias, I don't really care what you've heard about him what you've heard he's done. His knuckles are still bloody from hitting some, some, hitting some woman in the face. I don't care. Dragging some you know, kids out of their home church and their dad. You know what I mean? Like, like that's, that's hard for us to swallow, man. You know what I mean? But he's like, hey, you, you know nobody by the flesh. I'm not condoning abuse, obviously. Uh, but you know what I'm saying? He's saying like, this guy, you see him as a terrorist, but, but he's a vessel of mine. You want to talk about that Revelation 19 of like the testimony of Jesus being the spirit of prophecy. It's like, talk about not, not seeing Saul as he was, but seeing for one man died, though therefore all died. Like that's not, being able to look at him and say, that's not the real him. Yeah. He's actually the good guy. He's the vessel that I've, that I've chosen. Like you think about God on the throne. Think about like who? Who'd be a good vessel? Like, what about that guy? Like, and it's like all the angels are like, no, not that guy. No way. He's the worst one. You know what I mean? But, but you know, he's my chosen vessel for that. So I'm going to show him how much things he's going to have to suffer as well. It says, Ananias went his way and entered the house. And you guys probably know this story, Acts 9, 17. Laying his hands on, on him, he said, I love the first two things, words he says. He says, he puts his hands on him because he couldn't feel me. And he calls him Brother Saul. Calls him his brother. Brother Saul. It's not, hey, do you remember that church down on this street? Da, 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 da. I'm from here. That was my cousin. That was my sister. That was my wife. And now you're blind and I'm really going to, I'm going to let you feel what they felt. You know, that's how we think in Adam. You know, he puts his hands on him and, and, and the love of Christ is in Ananias. He says, my brother, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road. He knows what had happened to him. Came, sent me that you would receive your sight and that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. How is that? How is that, dude? Sitting there in trauma. You know, it's like he was just on his way to do more damage. Immediately there fell from his eyes something that were like scales. Yeah, that's that, the nature of the serpent, everything that came in from the fall, the knowledge of good and evil that had poisoned him and caused him to see a way that was so backwards. He received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. It's like, dunk me and I'm all... He was like, he went from all in to like all in something else. Bang, bang, you know? So when he had received food, he was strengthened. And he spent some time with the disciples at, at Damascus, and immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues. It's just like, what? Like, golly, he was on his way, and like three days later, he's out doing the opposite. It's so wild. Verse 26, when Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and didn't believe that he was really a disciple. <laughs> I love that, man. Acts 9, 26 is like, all right, you know, so he comes to Jerusalem, but he gets rejected. He's like, hey, you know, he's a Saul, he's a change. Like, he ain't changed. There's like, there ain't no way. And these are the disciples, the mature ones that walk with the Lord even. The, you know, they're like, no, we're not. Yeah, he wants to come meet with us. Yeah, he wants to meet with us. He wants to know exactly where we're at. He wants to know where we're meeting. Yeah, like, no, dude. But 11 verse 27, 
verse 27, because it says they were all afraid of him. They didn't believe his disciples. But in verse 27 it says, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, what he had spoken to him, and, that, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them in Jerusalem, coming in and going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. He was just with a group of them. And so it says he, he boldly spoke in the name of the Lord against, and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. So when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Then the churches throughout all Judea and Samaria had peace and were edified. And here's our verse, Acts 9.31. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Such a beautiful thing. Just, even just the bubbles that got popped on some of those disciples that were still there in Jerusalem at that specific period of time had to have been like, whoa, Bin Laden's one of us. That's just the only terrorist name I can think of. But, you know, I'm just trying to think of somebody that we know is a terrorizing person that's very dangerous and you wouldn't want here at the office necessarily. Uh, you know, but, uh, you know, come on, listen. What I'm saying is this, that in the, you know, it was just like, oh my gosh. But I, I love the fact that this guy named Barnabas is the one that took him and brought him in because Barnabas' name means son of encouragement. His name literally means encouragement. Son of encouragement. Which is like the giftings of the Spirit, the giftings, the edification, exhortation, and comfort of God. It's like the very fruit of, of God. It was even rejected for, because of fear, because no, this, that's a stretch if that dude got converted. Like, no, Jesus showed up to him. Jesus, our guy, showed up to him. He kind of showed up in, in, the, in a dimension that overlaps this one, heaven, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and he pulled Saul into his dimension. Think of that, man. Saul entered into a heavenly realm because the light of heaven shone around him and then was released back onto the earth and he, he never changed geographical location, but he was with the Lord. And he got to see some of the disciples, not all of them, but just, just for a brief a little bit, bit amount of time. And at first they were afraid, but then the son of encouragement, someone that came through with that name, which is so specific for us right here and now because the Holy Spirit was given to encourage the comforter, the fear of the Lord, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It's the reality of heaven. It's the very fear of the Lord is the engulfment of what happened to Saul. It's like, this is more real. Now, we also, we, everybody here knows, most of you probably know that Saul's name gets changed to Paul. Like most of the disciples had nicknames and name changes or whatever else. I don't know if it was the Lord that did it or if it was strategic because Saul was just, it was Bin Laden. So I need to change, I need to, people are going to be scared of me everywhere I go. I, I'm not really sure, but you know, I have a, you know, Jesus had a lot of nicknames around him. Um, but the reality is he wrote the majority of our Bible. This, this havoc-wreaking killer, Pharisee, wrote, after this book of Acts, we step into Corinthians, you know, we step into the rest of the writings of Paul. Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians, you know what I mean? Possibly Hebrews, nobody knows, you know what I mean? The Timothy books, like, Paul's writing all this stuff. That, are by, that it's like the commentary of the Old Testament through the lens of, of the four Gospels. So, you know, Paul, Saul for a while, goes out and spent, he's 10 years out of Jerusalem. He's gone for a long time. He learns how to take communion and stuff because Jesus used to come visit him physically and hang out with a guy. And we're thinking like, this is the lowest person on the place of the planet Earth, on the face of the Earth. You know what I mean? It's like, and God chose him because guess what? The grace of God and the forgiveness of God and the love of God is scandalous to the human mind. It's just backwards. It's like, what? It's like if somebody is going to have to carry the message of grace, I've got an idea. Somebody that even you could say like, yeah, that's grace. But he's even alive, allowed to breathe. You know, he's Saul and Judas. Same. I mean, they're up there pretty close together before the conversion hits, if you ask me, because he was a pretty rotten dude. Um, you know, he's a bad guy, but guess what? His name is Paul. And he writes this Bible, and I love this. We, we see somebody functioning in this flow, in this gifting of the Spirit, and because of his obedience in his prayer, in his connection to God, this Ananias guy, and the love that he had, Saul, my brother. I love that. And there's probably backstory there. 
God's like that. I'm almost certain there's probably backstory there. But what we have written there is that he comes and calls him brother and lays his hands on him and, he, and the snake scales come off his face. You know? And this is us. Empowered to impart life in goodness and kindness, the love of God. Empowered to see in the Spirit. We think seeing the Spirit is just angels and demons. You know, that is the discerning of spirits. That is a prophetic gift. That's that's real. It also discerning giftings and callings and stuff like that. But um, all that stuff is real. It's like Han Solo said: the whole thing's real. All of it's real to Ray. It is. It just is, man. That's why I'm here. Um, a lot of it. But but on top of that, it's just like all this stuff flows through the love of God. Amen. And we can see if if Ananias can see Saul in this way, we can see every person that we we encounter as valuable. Love is a tough word for me. It always really was because like, I, I wasn't used to going to church and having people hug me and stuff like that, other guys hugging me and all this. It felt just so strange to me. Um, I, I'm still not a huge fan of that, to be honest. But uh, <laughs> at the same time, you know, the love of God is value. When we see people as valuable, we can see into their life. Because it's not an agenda. Love seeks no agenda. Like It's actually loving people. When we value somebody, we see them as God sees them. And we can speak into that. You know, it's like Elisha and Elijah the prophet. You know what I'm saying? Let me have your double portion. It's like, well, if you see the mantle, then you can have it. I don't, I'm not sure. That's up to God. You know what I'm saying? There's something in God of seeing things by the Spirit, which you can see, you can have, or you can implement. Yeah. And sometimes prayer, intercession, the giftings of the Spirit work through love, though they always work through love. But sometimes it's as simple as learning to love somebody and value, value them and have hope for them. Be excited about their future in God even if they look like they're going completely in a total different direction. You know? And then use the words of life that God gives you and let them actually come. And you'll be astounded, I believe, with the giftings of the Holy Spirit that we all have, every single believer, even the least, even the newest in the game, um, that if you, if you learn to love, if you unlearn, you are love, but if you unlearn judgment, how those things actually kick, how they function. Then you have stories, like me. And you tell people, well, this happened. You know what I mean? I've experienced this, I've experienced that, like, like many of you do. So, well, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that your word is truth and it is life. And we thank you for your spirit that you've given to us. To, we, you know, we are never going to be alone. From this time until forevermore, it says, you will never depart from us. Lord, and even the giftings of the Spirit that you've given us in this new covenant that we're actually encouraged to pursue, that this guy Saul, a.k.a. Paul, encouraged us to pursue fully and totally to manifest your love in your kingdom. Lord, I ask that even our church and everybody that listens to this would actually step into what it means to truly be a seer, one who sees according to the testimony of Jesus one who sees the hope of the gospel and the new covenant and the love of God in every person that we encounter. Lord, I ask that even that this week, Lord, let there be divine encounters for every single person in this church this week. Let there be divine encounters that you say, oh yeah, you set that up. That we say, you set that up. To where we get to pass along something from heaven into someone else. Maybe we never see them again. Maybe we become friends with them. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a stranger. Maybe it's not, Lord. But I ask you for divine encounters to actually release the life and light that is of heaven. To step into the business, the Father's business, of letting there be light. Our dad. Amen.